Howdy. If you haven't already, make sure to follow us on all the socials. We are at History and Film on Instagram and HIF Pod on Twitter. My personal Twitter account is at TrackNerds, and you can always email me at Simmons at TrackNerds.com. Enjoy the show. So in this, our penultimate episode of our World History series, I could make a good argument that this film probably doesn't necessarily belong in a world history podcast simply because not only is it not a specific historical event or historical people like we always try to do or if we don't do, it at least speaks to the culture uh, of a certain part of the world. And about Ellie doesn't quite check off those boxes. It does peripherally deal with and give us room to talk about the culture of Iran, but... Really, it's just a good movie set in Iran, and outside of that, there's not really a lot for a history podcast to talk about. Yeah, and there are um, there are a couple things in this movie that are Iran specific, yes. like you know the the people and their relationship to the cops, and like the men's relationship to the women, and you know the, the culture stuff as far as like being engaged to someone else or being divorced being yes, true more taboo than it is you know, in, in the United States, but it really is, it's just a good, like drama, almost thriller movie that just happens to be made and set in Iran. Like this is, this is a movie and, and I, I hate, I hate the strong word. I, I, I don't usually really like American remakes of movies that are made other places, but I think that if you remade this movie as you know, with an American cast, and you know they're speaking English, and it's it's just the the same story, but with actors speaking English, I think it would work really well. Like I think people would would like it. I was even going to say I'm surprised it has not been remade since it is 10, 11 years old, and is honestly, and this is a strong statement, unlike any movie I've ever seen as far as what yeah. the plot and the conflict is. I'm like, so it's yes. kind of like a. It's like a, like a mystery thriller, but really just a drama with about friends. And so the two movies right. that I would compare it to, although it's kind of a stretch, would be The Big Chill and then Hitchcock's Rebecca from 1940. And Big Chill, just in the sense that it's a bunch of friends getting together to hang out and they're having fun, but then also dealing with a lot of serious issues in their personal lives. So there's that. And then Rebecca in that... The titular character in Rebecca is not in the film at all, and yeah, in Ellie in about Ellie, she's not in it past the kind of beginning. It's it's fascinating, right? And it's uh, you you would be forgiven if you saw the cover or the poster of this movie and thought, oh, the the girl on the on the cover that must be Ellie. No, that's not Ellie. Oh, that didn't even occur to me. You're right. <laughs> That's, I'm looking at it right now, and you're right. That's not the actress that plays Ellie. I, that didn't even occur to me. <laughs> uh, Ellie's actually she's only in the movie for like 20 minutes, which that was that was confusing for me when I when we were when we first started the movie because I'm like I'm like okay why do they keep calling her Sepeda and then they call the, <laughs> this other girl Ellie like it, it, am I missing True. something? And it, it turns out that I, that I was missing something. The movie is not. I mean it's it's about. Ellie, but it's it's more about everyone else. <laughs> yeah. So again, I want to kind of this is one probably more than most two. I really do want to give people a chance to watch this before we start getting into spoilers. So 
if yes. you're a fan of foreign film, go out and watch this before finishing this episode. Yeah, and uh, I, I will say that even though, and I don't know how you watched this. On Vudu. Okay, so d- did you, you rented it? Yes. So this this movie does exist on YouTube in its entirety with English uh, subtitles. Okay, okay. For free. There's there's the paid official version, but it does exist, and there are a couple of other instances of this video on YouTube that are English subtitled that do not require okay. renting. Okay, of questionable uh, legality as far as uh, copyright goes. Right, yeah. and I'm not sure, like, the, the one I watched had, had been up for a long time, okay. though, and had okay. quite a few views, so... Okay. I'm not. I'm not really sure, but like like Mulad, there are places where the subtitles are a little strange. Oh, see, and I had no issue with that. Right. Specifically, uh, there is no. The only punctuation is question marks and periods. So, like any time an apostrophe would show up to like make it uh, something possessive, or any time it would, you know, there would be like quotation marks or something. It was just another letter, and that kind of got confusing because you're like, why? There was a while I thought that, you know, they kept saying, go get LEFs this, oh. LEFs that. And I'm like, why are they calling her LEF? Well, it's because for whatever reason, in the translation, F yeah. was the character that replaced the apostrophe in in the subtitles. Okay, so rinse it on um, Voodoo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is a little bit confusing, but if, if you were just absolutely like, I don't have the money or well, I don't want to spend the money on a movie that I'm not sure about, gotcha. you can you can watch it on, on YouTube. But watch it on Vudu because that's that's probably the way to make sure that you're in the clear legally. And, and honestly, getting some money back to the creators, which I do think is right. is important, especially from these non-blockbuster yes. non films. Yes. But this is, it's more than just like, oh, this is this is good you know, for a movie that's not from the United States, which I, I would never qualify a movie. This is just a really good movie. Right, right. I, yeah, it's, and actually I did see on this Wikipedia page, it says basically right after it came out, it was already heralded as the fourth best movie ever in the history of Iran, as far as the, their own cinema goes. Yeah, I mean, I, this is the only movie from Iran that I've ever seen. Okay, so. so this is the third movie by this director I've seen, and... They're all just excellent, excellent. The the director is Askar Farhadi, and two of his films have won Best Foreign Film at the Oscar. That does not include this one. He's also been nominated for Best Screenplay. We had talked about that before, that, that this guy has... He's he's at the Oscar. Like, his movies are at, in the Best Foreign Film category pretty regularly. Right. And, and uh, yeah, this this is one actually that predates a couple of the others I had seen. And, I, and I'm just realizing there's another one that's just as highly related I need to get to. So he, and he does kind of focus on these very, very realistic character dramas that also maybe have some other element of secrecy or, you know, revelations that, that do kind of almost make them thrillers while also just being character dramas. Like I would say that's probably the theme throughout his work and just the performances. And, and you, you mentioned always liking long takes. This film had a lot of long takes. Yeah. I was, I was going to, I was going to mention that, that they're, <laughs> and they're not even like, um, in beasts of no nation that we talked about recently, like that, that movie has, a long take they kind of like it kind of stands out as a long take like when you're watching like wow this is this is a a really cool long take but in this movie you don't really notice it that much unless you're just kind of always looking for long takes which i kind of am but there will be i mean like 
three takes back to back that are all like over three minutes. Yeah. Like he'll he'll do like a four minute take, do one cut, and then do like another four or five minute take, and you don't really even notice that it's happening, and it just, which I I think is the mark of really good editing that you you don't even necessarily notice it. Right. It calls to mind something. It's uh, Robert Altman is kind of famous for that. Or even something like you think like the West Wing, where it's just kind of they follow the characters, the walking and talking, but then they just follow mm-hmm. the camera to the next character and you leave behind well, all with one shot. So it's almost like you're in that real world. Again, Robert Altman is kind of famous for that. So it, it definitely has that kind of uh, feel to it. You know, I have been watching uh, West Wing recently. Like it's my my go to okay, for yeah. like something to have on while I'm doing something else. So maybe that's why. Maybe I'm just like been on the lookout for longer takes <laughs> because I do like that walk and talk kind of yeah, style. Yeah. So you definitely have this here. So again, we're go- we're gonna go ahead and get into the details of the plot and spoil some things, and then kind of come back and talk about Iran and other things. So. The whole idea is that a group of friends are going to, well, it's like the lake or the beach, but again, this is in Iran, so they're going up to the Caspian Sea. Right. And two of the friends are single. So it's basically like three couples and some kids, and then two single friends that they're trying to basically have meet each other to see if they like each other. And so the girl in that, you know, hopeful hookup or whatever is Ellie. And, right. and the guy is visiting from Germany. Now, he's Iranian, too, but he's he's been living in Germany. So they're hoping these two will hit it off. And the girl is the, she's the kindergarten teacher, uh, who, who I would say is arguably the main character. Right, Sepeda or whatever. Uh, yeah, Sepeda. Her, it's her kid's kindergarten teacher okay. is Ellie. And, and again, it's just kind of a normal, you don't really know where it's going, because I didn't know anything about this film going in, so it's just like them dealing with, you know, reservation issues with the beach house, and just making the plans to clean up the place, and just the normal logistics of friends hanging out. It's, again, it's, it reminds me of the big chill. It's just very realistic, just dealing with these practical things. And then there's a turn where the little kids come up to yell at their dad while he's playing volleyball that the brother is in the water and needs saving. And we had last seen Ellie kind of in charge of them and flying a kite. And then there's this cut, yes. which at first I thought was just like a quick, you know, had a minute pass. So we really don't know how much time from when we saw Ellie flying the kite to then the kids are worried about their brother in the water. It's, you know, probably right. somewhere between, you know, two to 30 minutes as far as far as time passing. And they save the boy. And again, because I don't know anything about this film, I'm like, oh my gosh, is the kid going to be dead? They're going to blame Ellie because she was supposed to be watching him. And after they save the boy, they're like, well, shoot, now where's Ellie? And the little kid, the kids are too little to really know what was going on or give you a play by play on where she ended up. Right. Because, I mean, we're, when we say kids, these are like, it's like a two year old and a four year old. Like they're not. Right. The boy who was in the water was like seven. Yeah. Right. And, And he's the oldest one. Right. And so these kids are not going to be able to be like, okay, so mom, dad, here's what happened. Let me give you a rundown of exactly. <laughs> right. They're just, you're just screaming and yelling. Right. And- the first little kid who runs to tell dad about the, her brother being in the water is like two. And she's just like, yeah. dad, dad. And then says her brother's name, you know, Amir or whatever. Right. And that's all she knows how to, not what's to say. She's like, I, want, I need dad and dad needs uh, to go get my brother. And that's, I'm stuck. That's all the words I know. <laughs> yep. So the bulk of the movie is these friends trying to figure out, wait, so did Ellie get in the water and is now lost at sea having tried to save the boy? 
Or did she just up and leave and go back to Tehran because she said right. she had to? Because she said, right, she she kept talking about how she wanted to leave um, and everyone was kind of trying to talk her out of it. Well, Sepeda, the main character, was trying to talk her out of it. There was like a couple of the other people that say, hey, look, if she wants to leave, just just let her leave. Right. She had only agreed for come to, to come for one day. She had a mom with health issues. He was a little questionable about about the setup thing. But yeah. they said a bunch of reasons. She had already planned on just leaving, staying after, staying for one day and leaving the next day. That time had come. Sepeda was kind of bullying her in a friendly way into staying. And so we don't know. And I legit, like right. the whole, it's, it's this crazy tension I, that it created. I had no idea. And that was, I, I kind of thought that that was what was, that that was what was, it was going to be. Is that she had left, and then something else? You know, there was going to be some other fallout from that, right, or miscommunication, right? So, so you also don't know how to feel. So basically, you're trying to figure out: is Ellie a hero who drowned trying to save the boy, or a villain who just left the kids alone on the beach to go back to Tehran? And you don't right. know which way to feel about her because you don't know her well enough. Yeah, and it's again. So the whole movie is about Ellie, and it's this mystery and thriller and tension is building of. Is she dead or is she just a deadbeat who went home? And the characters are going back and forth on how to feel about her if she did one or the other and whose fault right. it is for bringing her in the first place. And it's just the tension is just kind of insane. And yeah. they really don't know. And then they so then they say, oh, well, we can't find her her bag. So she must have left. Oh, right. But then Sepeda, the main character, then goes in and says, no, actually, her bag's right here. It was like under the sink. Because she says I, I hid it from her so that she couldn't leave. Ugh, right, and I was kind of. And then yeah. they said, well, maybe she, maybe she left anyway. And then Sepeda's husband finds out that she that Sepeda has Ellie's phone. Right, and, she, and so he's like, why do you have Ellie's phone? And she said, oh, uh, uh, well, um, I, I guess I just found it in her bag and forgot that I had it or something like that. Well, then they they get on the phone and they're gonna try and call the mom. They keep calling the, the mom's number, but trying to get someone else to answer because they don't want to talk to the mom. She has health issues and they don't want to freak her out. Right. And then they see another number that's on there that the guy that they were trying to set up with Ellie uh, says, oh, when we went to the th- that's another kind of plot point um, in the story is they can't get cell reception at the house that they're staying at. So they have to drive into town. Right. And so they um, one of the first interactions between. Ahmad, who's the single guy who's from Germany, and Ellie, who and th- that's the two that they're trying to set up. One of their first interactions, they go to town to get like groceries and stuff, and she gets a call that she answers but says, "Hey, I can't talk right now," and then kind of hangs up. And so then later on, after she's disappeared, then Ahmad remembers, "Oh, that's right, she got a phone call that she like quickly disconnected. Let's call that number." And then that guy says he's it's her he says he's her brother. Right. He says it's her brother. And so they say, Okay, well we'll have him come here and meet us. Um, but they don't wanna they don't wanna outright say that she drowned because they don't, they're still not right, they don't know they're that. not necessarily sure. Right. So they say that she's in a car accident. Which again, the line kind of annoyed me, but it didn't seem necessarily unrealistic either. It was just like again, it's also though it is because a lot of the lying does kind of tie into the specifics of Iranian culture and it being kind of, uh, I mean, it, it, it was appropriate for them to do what they did, but again, it's maybe kind of border on inappropriate or something your family wouldn't necessarily approve of her going out right. on this retreat with, as a single person to meet another single right. guy, which in our culture, that would, 
that would not be right. A thi- that right. doesn't really matter. Like that happens all the time. Um, but in in their culture, it is more taboo to the point where at the very beginning, when they're first renting that that little villa, the lady that they're renting it from, Sepeda has to tell that lady, "Oh, uh, these are two newlyweds. Right. They, they just right. got married. Every, so that's everyone why... has to be married. So yeah, yeah, right, yeah." Which that comes up again right. then later towards the end of the story. But so they so they call this guy who they think is her brother and Ahmad and Sepeda go to meet him in the town and on the way Sepeda confesses to Ahmad that Ellie had was engaged to a guy who she didn't want to be engaged with, but she felt trapped because she's scared of him and that that's the guy that they're going to meet. Right, cause she has no siblings. She told me she has no siblings too, yeah. Right, and, and, and that Ellie, so so this is for sure the fiancé right. that Ellie was running away from to, to meet you. Right, yeah, so then that becomes kind of the conflict in the final third of the film is dealing with the fiancé right. who they have to protect themselves from the knowledge that, oh, you took an engaged woman to a retreat? Because in Iran, that is an actual crime. Oh, so there's another there's another sticking point too. I guess I knew it was taboo right. for sure. I didn't think about it being a legit crime. Which that is uh it's kind of like that would work in an American movie. I don't necessarily like comparing foreign movies to to American movies in this way, but just for the sake of the fact that yeah. like the vast majority of our audience is American. That is something that would kind of, you know, it would be like a drama thing that would work in an American movie or American TV show. That oh, you know, you have this girl who's running away from her fiance to be I mean, think about think of Titanic. It's right. almost the exact same thing. Right. But it you just have this extra added layer, the stakes are just a little are a lot higher because in Iran not only is that like a you know, a big drama thing relationship wise, but it's also an actual crime. Like if those people had all known that she was engaged to be married to someone else and then they took her on this trip to try and hook him up with another guy. Right. They could all, they would all be, you know, considered complicit in an, in an actual crime that they could actually be punished for legally. Interesting. Which again, though, so that was even one of my notes is, so why the heck did they go ahead? If they said, Hey, everyone quick, you have to pretend this guy's her brother and not her fiance, but you didn't know that he was the fiance. And so I'm telling you right now, it's like, just don't tell them, just let them, let them be ignorant and i don't understand why they felt the need to honesty vomit on their friends there and make them complicit when they could have just not told them the truth there right before that guy he shows up at the resort i don't know that's that seems yeah i don't well, again it doesn't seem unrealistic it just seemed like a mistake like if, if you're trying to get away with this the last thing you should do is bring your friends into the secret well i think that they wanted to bring them in just because they didn't want anyone saying like, oh, yeah, you know, th- oh. this, it sucks that we brought Ellie here to hook up with this guy. Gotcha. Because you, you, you might say that to the brother, but you wouldn't say it to the fiance. Right. Okay, that's why. Okay. Exactly. That makes sense yeah. then. Um, again, I didn't realize to what extent that was actually uh, illegal. I just knew it was <laughs> frowned yeah. upon. Because, again, it's frowned upon in the United States. But it's literally, right. literally a crime over there is a little different. Yeah. So then... Ahmad and the fiance go to, I don't remember why it was that they went to the lady's house. Oh no, she came there. Or did they, what was the reason that they went to the, 
to the old lady's house, the lady that owns the villa. I thought it was just it was just phone reception. I that okay that then that 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 was probably it. She had a landline, so they go they would go into town to use that's her right, cell phones. That's right. That's right. She has a landline because he the fiance was caught, went to call somebody, and while they're there, the the old lady says, "Oh, you know that that bed for the newlyweds. You know, don't worry about it. I'll come pick it up at some point." And so the brother realizes what's going on for the fiance <laughs> and Ahmad then real he see and then he, Ahmad said you know realizes oh he knows that I know that he knows <laughs> kind of thing right and so he gets in his car and books it back to the house to tell everybody yeah yeah and says hey everyone the jig is up like you know the fiance knows everything and so then they're waiting for this the fiance to get back and they're they're debating because that's that's when Sepida spills the beans. Well, Sepida stays with him to tell him the whole drowning story, though. Too on the way back, we kind of missed that part. <laughs> so, so because they initially right, told right, him right. it was a car wreck, and then so now she's told him about the drowning right. possibility, but we're still not one hundred percent sure. But she she brought him up to speed on right. all that, but hasn't told him about right. the whole I did skip that. whole uh, other thing. Yeah. with the uh, relationship that's now complicated. Again, yeah. We're kind of sounding like this is a bit of a mess. It, there's no problems understanding it during the film, but no, no, no. Yeah. We're we're just bad at explaining, <laughs> it, especially explaining it in order. Uh, but when you watch the movie, it's it's a lot. Just watch the movie. But you can tell from our excitement, we really enjoyed it. Yeah, <laughs> right. If you if you've gotten to this point and you haven't watched the movie yet, this like yeah, we're probably three quarters of the way through the movie, but it's it's just go watch it. Right. You'll go see, watch yeah, it. You'll still, you'll back. still enjoy it. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, and yeah, and, and this whole, but as a viewer too, this whole time you're still thinking maybe she's in Tehran. Like you, you, you still, right. you still have hope. So yes, the guy's mad. He ends up punching, punching Ahmad. Right. And the the final kind of conflict is what do they what do they tell him? Do they tell him? Well, because everyone else is saying basically, you know, we we had no idea she was engaged. Otherwise, we wouldn't have done this. Which is true. Which is true, but. Sepeda is like she's like but I knew she's kind of torn because she's like do do I defend her honor and say oh right the truth makes Ellie look bad but if we just if she's not around to yeah what what let's kind of be good no to the, her. the yeah. truth makes Ellie look better because it says oh she was afraid of you she didn't want to be with you oh right 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 but, yeah but, but she's still complicit but she, then she did initially refuse to come and Sepeda had to convince her right. So the the truth makes Ellie look better because it's like she was actually conflicted. She, you know, she didn't initially want to come. We had to convince her, which that would then make them all complicit in a crime. Whereas if she says, oh, no, I asked uh, I asked Ellie if she wanted to come on this trip and she said yes right away. She had no reservations whatsoever. Which is what she tells the fiance. Then that puts all of the onus on Ellie and none on the group itself. Which is ultimately the route they take. Because right. she does tell him that she didn't hesitate. That she's basically said yes. I didn't have to yeah. force her here. Yeah, yeah. Which is almost though. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's tough because we don't really get to know the fiance very well. We just know that Ellie wasn't happy with him. Right. But we only know one side of the story. Exactly. We 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 see nothing that makes you think he's a bad guy or a creep or anything like that. Right. And I mean, the only negative interaction that we see with him with anybody is him punching a mod in the face. But that's kind of understandable if you, <laughs> yeah, given the if you just got called yeah. up, you said, "Hey, drive, drive all this way to you know meet these people," and they tell you, uh, "Number one, your fiance is probably dead, and also she was with this other dude right like, for the whole weekend." Right. So yeah, completely understandable. Nice, yeah, nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah. 
And yeah, so then the climax of the film was basically, hey, the authorities have found a body. We need to go identify it and see if it's Ellie. And you're still, as the viewer, honestly, I was thinking it was like 70-30. It was not going to be her. It was going to be someone else. And we were still going to find her. Oh, really? And there's going to be some excuse as to like, somehow she's still the good person, but also left because she said she thought she's put someone. I, I was still hopeful. And honestly, even when they show the body, I, it was since she's in a body bag, I couldn't recognize that it was for sure her. And they only un, like they unzip it, but it's like half of her face is covered up. Right. And there's like hair in her face and she's got sand all right. over her. The only thing that makes me know 100%, because then, then, then in his grief, he might have been seeing wrong or thinking wrong. So the only thing that makes me 100% sure it was her is the fact that the movie ended. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, and then um, when I was doing research and read the plot summary, it says, oh, okay. you know, right, right. the fiance positively identifies her right. and becomes really sad and starts sobbing. It's like, oh, okay. So, so that was exactly what well, happened. Well, and, and one of my movie rules that I have, you know, kind of preached for a long time now is no corpse, no death. So, because movies will do that all the time where they, and so this one takes a very interesting takes that idea in a very interesting direction. It plays with your expectations and knowing that movies will often trick you into thinking someone is dead by not actually showing you their body. This does that the other way (laughs) where I I keep having hope that she's alive and assume she's alive because we haven't seen the corpse. Even when the officials say she'll for sure wash up overnight, They, they don't make it like a question. They make it like, Yes, the way it works, if she drowned here, she will 100% wash up overnight, and then she doesn't. And so you're still kind of just always hopeful until the very end, where you're like, oh, she did go in and try to save the boy, and she drowned. And this is a tragedy. And yeah, just a fascinating movie, a really, really good movie that's as depressing as that sounds. It's not that much of a downer of a movie. It's just more of just, it's just real and it's a, it's conflicted again it's almost a horror movie without the horror and just the way it kind of builds i feel like in the tension and again it's not as intense as that but i almost feel like structure wise i feel almost like i feel like it plays out like a horror film in a way kind of yeah but, it, but it's not scary other than just the real life tension right and that's why i would call it more of a a thriller yeah that's that. fair okay that's probably fair it's it's like a low stakes thriller i don't want to say low stakes because she's you know it's ways is she dead or not but yeah again i'll say like i said at the very beginning i don't think i've ever seen a movie like this which yeah i've seen a lot of movies it turns out (laughs) (laughs) and the other other thing i was gonna say is i feel like maybe it's because this guy's only for uh for the director is only 48 Mm -hmm. so i almost feel like are we just a few years from him having a bong joon ho type breakout because Bong Joon-ho is basically doing right. the same thing and has been making these great movies over in Korea forever. And then, boom, hit right. one that kind of broke through to the West. And Farhadi's already yeah. got two Oscar-winning movies as for in foreign film. Right. And so is it just a matter of a couple years here? And, oh, boom, yeah. Farhadi's got a Best Picture Well, because, yeah, like with, with Bong Joon-ho, you had uh, Snowpiercer, which was really popular. Well, in Memories and of Murder. Parasite. And, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think Bong Joon-ho had actually had a, well, I guess, sorry, not a foreign film winner because, oddly enough, Parasite was, like, the first Korean movie to even get a foreign film nomination or something, even though Bong Joon-ho had had others that should have. But, again, we've talked before a million times about how that category ends up being, or overlooking a lot of things sometimes. So, 
I wasn't going to mention just briefly, uh, the Caspian Sea, which plays an important role in this film, is the world's largest inland body of water. So it's like it's not directly connected to anything else. And I was like, oh, well, how big is that? Because and they do say to the ancient people uh, of this area, they just assumed it was an ocean because it was so big. Which made me think of my trip to Lake Michigan five years ago. And I remember standing on the on the shore of Lake Michigan and feeling like not necessarily ocean, but I definitely felt like sea. Like it just seems endless. Like it's it's it even just the sound, it just it's this endless body of water. So I'm like, well, how does that compare right. to the Caspian Sea? Oh, like not even close. Lake Michigan is twenty two thousand square miles. The Caspian Sea is hundred and forty three thousand square miles. So right. almost seven times the size of Lake Michigan that took me a week to drive around. Obviously, I was stopping and stuff, but like I spent like a week driving around Lake Michigan five years ago, and yeah. the Caspian Sea is almost seven times that size. So right. just massive. It's uh, bordered, bordered by Russia and Kazakhstan on the north, Turkmenistan to the east, Azerbaijan on the west side, and then Iran is on the south. Yes, and yeah, Tehran is actually not too far from now the drive itself maybe long and we don't know that they went straight north of the lake you know obviously they might have gone off a little bit but yeah Tehran's actually not too far from the caspian sea well they they mention and i don't know if i'm pronouncing this correctly but chalice which it looks like is a is a city that's right on the caspian sea oh, okay and and again they they are kind of in the middle of nowhere but they do mention having to drive to chalice at some point so that that can give you a kind of uh a rough geographical location for where this takes place. So basically, if you go straight north out of Tehran and uh, to the Caspian Sea, uh, that town that's right there is is Chalice. Okay, so that's not a very far drive at all. Although they did mention something about the road being really busy and only one way or something, so that might have caused some of the issues mm-hmm. as far as or just them feeling like they were actually a ways away from the city. Uh, the last time we were in this part of the world in full was with the physician uh, dealing with uh, Ibn Sina played by Ben Kingsley. And that was in Isfahan, which is just more closer to the center of Iran. Now, uh, again, we cut, we did talk about Iran a little bit when we were talking about the cultural issues with the Middle East, when we were talking about Waja, um, it is important mm-hmm. to make the distinction that Saudis are Arab and Iranians are Persian. So they're even culturally and ethnically a completely different people, completely different language. They just happen to share a little bit of geography and and religion, but uh, a a very different uh, people. Right. It's also important to point out that uh, Iran is Shia, majority Shia, and uh, Saudis are majority Sunni. Right, which is why their rivalry is so heated right they're they're essentially like the middle eastern version of you know the united states and the soviets during the cold war or pakistan and india is is maybe right but like i'm as in like they fight proxy wars against each other they fund groups that fight right right governments and groups that are sympathetic to each other so they uh they they don't get along uh culturally too again when when you're watching this film it really does just feel like it could be a group of Americans going out to a weekend at the beach. The difference being the women constantly wearing the hijab, which, mm-hmm. again, as we kind of mentioned in Waja, is really more cultural than it is religious. Yeah, and and you even see in in this movie they almost it's it's almost like a fashion accessory, a fashion accessory. But but they 
it's almost not really it's kind of incidental like it does a lot to and i don't know if this was on purpose or not but it kind of it it shows that these are just normal people that happen to live somewhere else like exactly exactly the women are still like they very modern you know, they're right they're not right they're not downtrodden they they're standing up for, they stand up for themselves they're arguing with the men they get an equal vote in where we're gonna stay for the weekend right yes, they, yes. right they, they take a, a vote to, to stay somewhere and the women get just as much say as the men um and granted this is in this one group in this one movie the guy um is it amir what's sepida's husband's name i think that's right yeah so uh, amir at one point gets mad at sepida and hits her but no one is like, well, you know, that's no, better. Right. Best leave him alone because that's They're his getting business. in his face. Yeah. Right. They they immediately run out there and yeah, get in his face and like the other guy's wife starts yelling at him and is like, You should be ashamed of yourself. Right. And he and he feels guilty instantly too. Yeah. Right. Right. And and in no way is it framed as This is the norm. He's beating right. her because he it's the norm and because he thinks that he has this power over her. It's it's more like he's, you know, out of his mind because of all the stress of the situation that they're dealing with. Right. And he kind of snaps and turns to violence. That this girl they hardly know got killed on their trip. Right. And the other thing, too, and I, I, I heard uh, a Muslim somewhere at some point, you know, on TV make this comparison when asked about the hijab. And they were just talking about the cultural history of it. And they said something that just always stuck with me because I never thought about it this way. They're like, it goes back to the same historical cultural roots as you think of the Virgin Mary always basically wearing, for all intents and purposes, a hijab. And it's that same kind of veiled face or veiled head. And that was just, they just still do it in this part of the world. And we don't. And it's um, when I was in Dubai last year, that was something that one of the tour guys that we had was talking about it. And he said, you know, a lot like in the West, people think that it's weird for Muslim women to wear a hijab, but they won't think twice about a nun wearing what is essentially oh, exactly. a, there you not, go. not the same thing, but, you know, a, a headdress. Right. And it's it's just a sign of their devotion to their faith. Right. Now, and then it gets tricky, though, too. You think about France having outlawed. Of course, there's different levels because obviously Saudi had the full on. There's different names or the abaya where it's there's basically like there's different terms. And I don't I can't keep track of what yes. piece of clothing is what because we just haven't grown up with it. But France right. outlawed certain ones. And that gets tricky because, yes, it's easy for the West. And I mean, I probably fall on this, too, where I, I feel like it seems like a sexist roots because you're you're covering up the women and that just that just seems inherently sexist and so france is trying to defend women but there's some women within that faith who they don't feel it that way and they feel like they want to do it and it what to what extent is the state responsible for trying to break that tradition and it's it, it, it's tricky it's a mess i, I kind of yes. do wish it didn't it exist very but <laughs> i also feel like again if you're talking about freedom of religion it, it's it's complicated. It's complicated. Right. And and not not every situation is equal. So obviously right. someone wearing it doesn't, you know, doesn't necessarily inform the the reasons for it, which I think can make it a an oppressive or a not oppressive thing or just, a, you know, an a showing of your faith or, or whatever. Right. Because I always say at some point, you, know, you think about conflicts today over dress codes in the United States, whether it's, you know, uh, wearing yoga pants or, you know, how short are shorts at schools and stuff. So, or wearing a mask in the grocery store. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Cause yes, we are still dealing with that. 
Oh, don't worry. We probably still will be by the time this episode comes out to you. Oh, I'm calling it now. Oh, let's hope not. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, so as far as, again, we're kind of coming to the end of this project. This is the penultimate episode on our list of movies here. And as far as we, as we kind of get to the modern day, so yeah, we, we haven't yet had a movie about, say, the Trump presidency or the coronavirus pandemic. So, And we've, we've covered a lot of the big 21st century milestones with 9-11, the war on terror, social networking and the financial crisis so we kind of are just at wrapping up phase so I, I do think this was an okay movie to include to discuss iran and just kind of modern life in def- different places around the world i did want to mention there were two performers uh in this movie that i did recognize from other stuff that i'd seen oh um, the first one was uh payman who is played by a guy named Payman Mahdi. Easy for him to remember his character's name. Right, which I couldn't place him initially. I was like, where have I seen him before? He's in, did you ever see the uh, 13 Hours, the Benghazi embassy attack movie? Anyways, he plays the interpreter in that movie, like the interpreter for the group of contractors. So that's, I I recognize him from that. The other... The actress that I recognize, uh, she's the the main character. Her her face is on the the cover. Her name, her, she's not Ellie. Uh, <laughs> Sepeda. Sepeda, yeah. And her name, the actress's name is Golshifta Farahani, which I had seen her in several things. She was in, uh, well, most recently was in the movie, the Netflix movie Extraction with Chris Hemsworth. She's kind of the the main female spy badass that comes and like initially recruits Chris Hemsworth at the beginning of the movie okay. and you see her a few times throughout. Um, she's also in one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Um, she was in a movie in 2016 with Adam Driver called Patterson that I didn't see. Yeah, so she's done a lot of Western stuff, yeah. Yeah, she's a love interest in the uh, the 2008 movie Body of Lies with Leo DiCaprio. It's like kind of a spy thriller movie. Well, that was even before about Ellie, yeah. Yeah, so she, she's been in quite a bit of stuff in you know quite a bit of western movies she's actually the first actress first iranian actress to star in a hollywood movie after the revolution in 1979 oh is she the one you're saying isn't allowed to go back though yes she's also the first iranian actress to be in an israeli movie and she is currently banned from saudi arabia um, because in some of her movies i guess she has appeared either topless or nude in at least one movie, because um, that was the the reason that the article gave as to why she was not allowed to to go back. But if you on her Wikipedia page, it shows her filmography, and um, in the notes section for each movie, there's like a ton of them that say "ban in Iran, ban in Iran, ban in Iran," uh, like over and over again. Basically, they don't like the idea that an Iranian woman has done these American movies and. Basically, we talk about the we're in a job culturally. Yeah, being nude on film, kind of a no no if you're Iranian. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she comes she comes from a, a an acting family. It kind of reminded me of like uh like the Scars Guards, you know, uh-huh. like you got so like her sister is an actress, her father is like a famous actor and filmmaker in Iran. So she comes from like an entire like filmmaking performance family. Okay. Yeah, and I had seen the guy you mentioned, Payman, in separate. He's the lead in a separation that won won the Oscar for best foreign film. So I guess I had seen him there, but okay. didn't necessarily recognize him. Yeah, and I, I think actually both of them have been in oh other Farhadi movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so 
tune in next week for the final world history episode of history and film with a favorite of mine from the 21st century midnight in paris (laughs) 